Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. Have you ever had this attitude that, well, it's not that bad? <laughs> what what will once or twice matter? You know, I know the Word says that, that we shouldn't do this or I shouldn't do this, and I know the Holy Spirit's convicting me of, of not doing that, but, you know, what's one more time? Other traps could be selfishness. I remember... Officiating a funeral, a guy, uh, his dad died. And, and at the funeral, his big deal was, I want to play this song for my dad's funeral. I did it my way. I was so grieved by that. Because I know in my life, when I've tried to do it my way, I know where I've ended up. And I wanted to say at that funeral, he did it his way. What are the results of his life? I don't know. I didn't know that man, you know, and I'm not trying to judge him, but what are the, what are the results that are going to come from our life when we try to do it our way? Rebellion can be another trap, stubbornness. Let's look at James 1, 12 through 15. God blesses those who patiently, say patiently, Endure testing and temptation. Testing and temptation are different things. Consider that uh, your professor gives you a test in school. Why does he give you the test? He's got a camera at your house. He knows you didn't read the chapter. No, he gives you the test because... He wants to know if the students as a whole are grasping the material. He wants to know. He, he can evaluate his, his uh, teaching, his style or delivery of the material based on if the students are getting it. I remember when I took organic chemistry, I had this horrible professor. By the time the second semester ended, there were like three people in the class. He was a horrible professor because he was, my opinion was, he was so full of himself, he was wanting to impress more than he was wanting his students to get the material. And so when we have a test, it's, it's for our good. Um, a, a student may be tempted to cheat, when we're going through a test, do we want to cheat? Do we want to skirt around it? And if, if you were in school and you were not so good a student like I wasn't, I didn't always study. I didn't always read the chapter. I didn't always do all the homework. I didn't always take time to really grasp the material. But I can tell you this, I was never tempted to cheat. Because that's a character issue. And God is working on our character. So God will allow test, but a test is good. It lets us know where we stand, even if we fail, even if we don't do that well. It lets us know, hey, 
you know, I need to do better. But God never tempts us. God will never tempt us. James 1.12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Patiently endure testing and temptation and love. In real estate, what do they say? It's location, location, location. I was thinking about that. What about God's kingdom? It's relationship, relationship, relationship. At least that's what I think it is. But love and obedience are connected. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if, say if. If. What does if mean? It's conditional, right? If you love me, then what are the results? He obey my commandments. So if we say we love Jesus, then we obey his commandments. Not from a ritualistic, legalistic approach, but because we have a relationship with him. The crown of life is given to those that love God and endure testing and temptation. When we love Jesus, it should be, I was going to say it would be, but it should be reflective in our life. And through our obedience, because of this relationship that we have. I know that there can be perversion um, and abuse can give us incorrect perceptions of repentance and obedience. And I, I thought of a couple of, of examples, and these may not be the best. You may have some other examples, but think about an incorrect perception of repentance. Oh, I got caught. I will say I'm sorry, even though I really don't mean it. Because I don't want to deal with the lecture. I don't want to deal with the backlash. I'll just want to get through this thing and just move on. So a lie that can come from that is that an insincere apology can smooth things over and make everything work out okay. Do we do that with God? You guys are really quiet this morning. Do we ever do things and we say, okay, God, I'm sorry. I don't really mean it. I'm living in this day of grace and I know that, you know, you'll forgive me. What, what about obedience? Well, I have to obey even though I'm not in agreement with it. And I'm not talking about anything, you know, this illegal, immoral, unethical, okay? You know that I'm not talking about that. But I have to obey, even though my heart's not in agreement, and a lie could be, I don't, I don't really need to obey. God, God's going to forgive me anyway. And so do we have this mindset of cheap grace? Do you, realizing that, understanding that God, Jesus, gave his life for us so that we could be restored and are we taking advantage of that? Are we complacent towards that? God's grace is Him giving us time to get it right, not permission to continue sinning. And so I wonder sometimes if we just take advantage of that because of God's great love. And grace and mercy toward us. 
God calls us to repentance and requires obedience for our good. The, the street signs and the speed limit signs and the curves ahead signs are for our good. And God's, God's word, his instruction, his directions for us are for our good. Repentance will often precede restoration. I think I said this last week. We're called to the gospel of reconciliation. Being reconciled back to God and being reconciled to one another. What would happen if we really had a heart to reconcile to one another? Maybe the murder rate would go down. Maybe the violence that we're experiencing here in America. And, and you know, this problem is not just an American problem. It's a global problem. And only Jesus can fix this mess that we're in. Let's read on in James 1.13. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. Okay, you notice James says, when? Well, I'm a Christian. I never get tempted. Yeah, you do. James is saying it here. When you are tempted, you will be tempted. Not if, but when. James 1.13 continues, God has never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. And you probably know people that feel like God is trying to get them. He's just setting them up for failure. It's a, it's, a, it's a misunderstood perception of God's love. God is not looking out to get you. God is looking to bring you into this relationship and help you. I hope if you saw me about to step into a pit or crash my car or run into something, you would care enough to say, hey, stop, stop. Verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us. And they not only entice us, but they drag us away. As my friend would say that's gone home to be with the Lord, oops, there it is. Oops. There it is. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. Last week, I talked about, uh, in, from Luke 4, where Jesus was reading the scroll, the scripture, Isaiah. The scroll was handed to Jesus in the temple, and where Jesus read prophetically about himself that Isaiah, uh, Isaiah had written about Jesus 700 years before. Remember that? It's uh, Isaiah 61, I think. And, uh, and Jesus read, I was anointed to preach the good news, to heal the blind, to set the captives free. But this week, I want to back up from that because before he went into the temple and read the scripture that was referring to him, and if you go back and read a little bit after that, it was shortly after that, they want to kill him. <laughs> but before he went into the temple, he had gone through this 40 days of testing. Fasted for 40 days. Now let me tell you now, at the beginning of the year, I'm going to ask you to join me in a 21-day fast like we do every year. 
So you can begin to, you know, get that in your mind and maybe even prepare. I'm not asking everyone to fast for 21 days, but I am going to ask you to fast something. And, you know, by the way, let me bunny trail here. We, we meet at the property every Wednesday, unless it's raining from 10 to 12, and we're praying. We're praying for the community. We're praying for, for us. And uh, uh, Pastor Christine and I have started fasting on Wednesdays for a season. So you can join us. You don't have to wait till January till we do this fast. You can fast anytime. Whenever you've got something important before you, maybe you've got a test coming up. Maybe you're uh, considering a job change or something like that or, you know, a relationship or whatever. It's always good to fast and get some insight from the Lord. And, and you know that fasting is spending, is not, is abstaining from, from food and drinking water, but also meditating on the Word, seeking the Lord, getting direction from Him. Because if you're not doing that, you're just dieting. And there's benefits to that. You can diet if you want. But when we talk about fasting, we're talking about pressing into God and spending time with Him. So those of us who have fasted, when we read the Scripture about Jesus fasted for 40 days, aside from Jesus, I only know one, personally, I only know one other man that has fasted for 40 days, our pastor in Corpus Christi. And from what I know, he's fasted three times for 40 days. When we read these scriptures, are we understanding the depth of what's being shared here? And, uh, you know, Pastor Don is, I think he's still fasting like six months out of the year. He, he fasts for a week and then eats for a week. And Because Pastor Don, he's probably one of the most powerful men of God I know. But he's intentional. He's intentional of seeking God and allowing God to, to do in his heart. He's like, I'm making room for you, God. And let me demonstrate. And he doesn't go around and share that with a lot of people because it's not about him. Oh, look what I've done. It's his heart. So I guess today, if, if you don't walk away with anything else, what's in your heart? So Jesus, before he goes into the temple, he's in Luke 4, he's tempted by Satan. He's fasting for 40 days. And those of us that have fasted for extended periods of time, when we do the 21-day fast, I thought, you know, I, I think I'd like to do 40 days. And then I think, well, maybe, maybe 30 days. About the time I get halfway through that, I'm like, oh, I think 21 days is what the Lord's calling me to do. <laughs> it's hard. But yet we read these scriptures, Jesus fasted for 40 days, and we just read right over it. And let me say this too. Don't fast for 40 days unless you know that the Lord is calling you to do that. Okay? And that's why you can begin to pray now for January when we fast. You can begin to ask the Lord. Um, but... One of the temptations that, that Jesus had was to eat. He fasted for 40 days. And so, did, did he surrender to his flesh? You know he was hungry, come on. Some of you get hungry, you can't go a day without eating. You're starving. 
not just some of you, some of us. I'm in that, in that group too. But Luke 4, 3 through 4. Then the devil said to him, to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become a loaf of, of bread. If you are the Son of God. Satan knew who he was. Jesus knew who he was. He didn't have to prove himself to Satan or, or anyone else. Luke 4, 4, but Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Jesus refused to be tricked by Satan or to yield to his ploys. And when we look at these scriptures, I was thinking about this this morning, I wonder why they're there. I mean, clearly Jesus is God and, and he didn't need to succumb to these little tri tricks or traps that Satan would try to put in his, in his path. These are here for us. It wasn't so Jesus, Jesus knew who he was, who he is. So when we look at these scriptures, we, we can say, wait a minute. Now I'm tying this to Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Jesus fasted for 40 days and he did not succumb to the temptation Back to James 1.14, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. Verse 15, these desires give birth to sinful actions. So sinful actions or sinful desires birth sinful actions. And go back to Romans 12.2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Driving home on Friday night, your car doesn't just turn into specs so you could go buy a fifth of whiskey. You've thought about it. And you have this desire. And then it, it leads to action. Verse 15 continues, And when we sin, and, oh, I'm sorry, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So sinful desires leads to sinful actions, which gives birth to death. And so people wonder, well, how did I get from here to here? Well, it was a progressive thing of compromise. So my first point is repentance begins when we realize we need to repent. And I love it when the light comes on in somebody's life and they're like, oh, I need to repent. You know, when, when a, a, a young, maybe a young child, whenever they come to that place and, and you're, you're thinking, well, you're only 10 years old. You're only 12 years old. How many, how many bad things could you have done, right? But even at that, they, they come to this realization and this understanding that they've done wrong and they need Jesus in their lives. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. I was at a praise and worship service recently, and there was this little girl there. She must have been eight, nine years old. And she was worshiping, worshiping powerfully. I talked to her mother afterwards, and I said, man, your little girl is, is really, really awesome. I see the Lord all over her. And she said that uh, they were praying for her, and she got slain, and she, she got her prayer language. And she was getting revelation from the Lord. The Lord was showing her some things. And she said, the mother said, as I began to write it down, the daughter was like, no, 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 that's not what the Lord said. It says this. 
She was so intently aware of what the Holy Spirit was giving her that we would be that sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So repentance begins when we realize we need to repent. Yielding to the Holy Spirit is critical in helping us avoid sin. My third point is refuse to play with sin. Just don't do it. We had the warnings. We, had, we know the issues and the problems. However, we have the solution if we really, really want it. The solution is Jesus. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, and you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. This is our sad state without Christ. This is our sad state without the Holy Spirit. We want to do what's evil. We want to do what our sinful nature craves. That's why I think it's so important to understand iniquity and how that that is within us. Isaiah 5.20 said, he wrote, What sorrow awaits those who say that evil is good and good is evil? That dark is light and light is dark. That bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. I remember reading this scripture years ago and I thought, that is ludicrous. How could that ever happen? That someone would say good is bad or good is evil and evil is good. Well, I think we're here. <laughs> I, think I, I think I see now how that can happen. The world around us is lost. Sinners sin. Sinners think that by paying to, giving money to United Way, they're, doing, they're good. You know, I'm good with God. There are even, I think, believers today that are lost. That don't understand that this whole thing is not about performing, but it's about a relationship. You see it today, well, abortion is good. And let me say this, uh, as I always try to do when I talk about abortion, there's a, a chance that somebody in here, somebody watching online has had an abortion. There is grace for that. It's not God's desire or plan, but there is grace for that. So when you talk to somebody that's had an abortion, that's suffering from the shame and the guilt of that, share Jesus with them. Jesus is love, and there's grace for that. But that should not be part of our society. It should not be okay in the church. Sexual perversion in the church, some churches today, they say it's okay. It's not okay. Things the Bible teaches as evil, some churches say are okay. It's not okay. And we have the truth. We have the Holy Spirit. And uh, we need to abstain from those kinds of things. I, I haven't done a study on this, but I don't know how many times the Bible talks about sexual immorality. A lot. Because I think it was prevalent then, and I think it's prevalent now. 
So Galatians 5.17, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Godly desires and godly lifestyles uh, provide blessings for us. And this is not a prosperity message or anything like that. But when we're walking with the Lord, He's blessing us. And it may not be a Rolex watch and a Mercedes Benz, but He's blessing our lives. He promises to provide for us, and our sinful nature is destructive and never satisfied. Has your flesh ever told you just one more time? <laughs> and later on, it's like, one more time, this is the 200th time. <laughs> the flesh is never satisfied. And so when we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh because the flesh is never satisfied. And so that's why we're built up. Jude 20 says, pray in the Spirit because you are edified, you are built up. So if you don't have a prayer language, pray and ask the Lord to give you it. Give, Lord, give me a prayer language so I can commune with you on this level because only He can do it. But if you ask for it sincerely, Maybe he'll give it to you. I hope he will. Galatians 5.17. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So, when we yield and succumb to the flesh, it seems like it builds that up. And it diminishes the spirit man within us. When we build up the spirit man within us, it gives us strength to overcome the desires of the flesh. So what, what's our focus? Is, it, is our focus the things of the Lord or the sinful desires? When we acquiesce, when we permit or agree to allow our sinful nature to rule our lives, we and others suffer the consequences there's a good chance that many of you here today and watching online have come from a broken home. There's a good chance that many of you have uh, been, um, had a divorce in your life as well. And so when that happens, does it just impact the adults? If you come from a broken home, you've, you know what that's like. Fortunately, I didn't. I had good godly parents that, you know, never divorced. In fact, I've shared with you that uh, I never even saw them argue. I know that's not possible. They had to have argued sometime. But I was fortunate to grow up in that environment, so I don't really know what it's like to grow up where your parents are separated or divorced. I know that uh, Christine's parents, uh, they separated, they never divorced. And it had a huge, and still does, have a huge impact on her life. And so whenever those kinds of things happen, whenever, and, you know, I, I don't know the background of, of all the divorces and things like that, but it probably stems from some kind of sinful desire. Something happened. Something happened that ripped apart what God had brought together that was never supposed to be torn apart. 
And it doesn't just impact those adults. It impacts the children and probably grandchildren and great-grandchildren. It has an effect. Paul goes on to write in Galatians 5.18, But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under the obligation of the law of Moses. We don't have to, you know, well, let's see, I shouldn't steal. No, because I know that I'm not going to do that because I have the Spirit of God in me. Not because there's a law that says you, you shall not steal. Well, I don't, I don't have to murder. I don't have to have an affair. I don't have to, you know, do all these things. Why? Because the Spirit of God is residing within me. If we say that we're a Christian, do you think there should be some evidence in our life? Okay, I play drums. Are you a drummer? Yeah, I'm a drummer. Well, then I should be able to play drums. If you're a carpenter, there should be some evidence that you can do what you say you can do if you're a plumber. Whatever. If we're a Christian, there should be some evidence in our lives that we're walking with the power and the Holy Spirit and we're living a Christ-like life. It doesn't mean we're perfect. As a drummer, as a plumber, as a carpenter, you make mistakes. But it doesn't negate that you have that skill. As a Christian, because we have a, a situation where we don't, you know, maybe hit the mark every time, it doesn't negate that we're a Christian. And I'm, please hear me, I'm not condoning sin. I'm not condoning missing the mark. We know that sin, to sin, is to miss the mark like an archer shooting at a target. So we want to hit the target, but sometimes we miss. But do we believe who God says that we are? Do we believe that we can overcome? Do we believe that we can live in victory? Do we believe that we can submit our lives to the Lord, and He can do this transformation process. The Holy Spirit will not lead us astray. I, uh, in closing, my cousin was married to this crazy guy, and she said one time they went into a, like a department store or something, and so they walked in and they're like, "Hi, welcome to whatever. Is it, can we help you?" And he goes, "No, nah, we're just doing a little shoplifting. We thought we'd stop by." And she said that this old bald head guy followed him around the whole store that time. But listen, if we're, not, if, if we're not shoplifting, we don't have to have a security guard following us. And when we have the Holy Spirit, we're going to know and do the right thing that God has called us to do. And so we don't need the law of Moses, and I'm not negating the law of Moses, but I'm just saying we need the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us.